0: Welcome to MMA on the Rocks. My name is Bill Welker. You are listening to episode 129 of the podcast, or you're joining us live here on YouTube. Today is Sunday, March the 3rd, 2019. We're just a few hours removed from the biggest fight card of the year by far. UFC 235, headlined by Jon Jones, defending his light heavyweight championship against contender anthony smith before we get too far into that let me introduce my trusty co-host all the way from what i believe is snowy new jersey right now jeff the animal wilson jeff how are you faring in the flurries up there my friend
1: Bill you're not wrong we got a little bit of snow yesterday i'd say about 3 inches or something a lot of it has melted so far cuz it rained a little bit after but we're supposed to get drilled again this evening which i hope leads to a very nice and welcome snow day at work Bill how's florida how's your do you remember what snow looks like bill um uh, only from what i
0: see on on people's Facebook and Instagram from back home. And um, yeah, I, I don't miss it. I don't care if I never see another snowflake, Jeff. is uh, <laughs> good. Uh, it, it's been in the mid seventies lately. We had, you know, a beautiful day last night. I was able to watch the fights outside, which was nice. I got to admit, Jeff, I'm dragging a little bit today. I, I was, I, I made the mistake of trying to watch the press conference and I was up till three in the morning and, Uh, apparently my daughter doesn't care uh, that I was doing that because she was up at about quarter to eight she sat straight up like the undertaker and was like come on dad it's time to go get get up and get me some fucking breakfast I don't care what you were doing (laughs) last night so apologies in advance if I'm dragging a little bit through this but I'm gonna do my best as always and of course I I was sipping on some good things during the fight so last night as well but we'll get to that later because we got priorities here Jeff I was left at the end of this card just in exasperation because there was so much to take in so much happened on this card it it was almost like a sensory overload and I just kind of took a minute like a big deep breath at the end of this and thought wow we really saw something special in this card there's just so much went on there was controversy there was drama there was underdog upsets there was violence uh there was dancing injuries there was uh old guys beating up young guys there was young guys beating up old guys uh we had everything you could ever want uh from from a UFC card uh last night but I'll start at the top and we'll work our way down Jeff So the main event was a very one-sided victory by the champ, John Jones, who made Anthony Smith look like he did not belong in there with him. Of course, credit to Anthony Smith for surviving. However, to that point, I would kind of say that in my opinion, I don't really feel like John Jones ever hit the gas. I mean, he kept up an incredible pace in this fight, but I don't feel like he was ever really going for the finish. Uh, and that goes for everything. I don't feel like he was trying to finish the takedowns. I don't feel like he was really trying to knock Anthony Smith out. I think he was just trying to wear on him and break him down. And that's exactly what he did. Somewhere around towards the end of the second round, it just seemed like Anthony Smith was a broken man and he was getting no help from his corner. Some of the worst corner advice I have ever heard. Uh, I'll get back to that. But give me your impressions on the fight, Jeff.
1: Yeah, dude, it looked like another day at the office for John Jones. That was John Jones at thirty percent, Bill. Um, <laughs> you might be right. Yeah, dude, he just—I I don't know, man. It looked like he was sparring in there, and he did a good job of making Anthony Smith carry his weight. Especially, I think it was the third or fourth round where he kind of just like put his weight on him. Covered his mouth, wasn't really trying to advance his position. Mm-hmm. Just wanted to, Anthony Smith to know you do not understand w- what you signed up for when yeah. you took this title fight. And I mean, dude, there was a little bit of controversy in this. I think it was, might have been that third round where John Jones landed a knee to the head of Smith but Smith was a downed opponent, which we got to organize this, man. We got to get, like, all these athletic commissions to agree on one set of rules, man. I don't know what's a downed opponent anymore, Bill. I don't know if it's one hand, two hands, three hands. Yeah. So we we got <laughs> to get this shit sorted out, man.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's safe to say if you have three hands on the mat that you're down. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I agree. Uh, I was we, we were talking about this last night as well. They really need to get aligned on this. You know, we have the new quote unquote unified rules that are far from unified. I was okay with the knee because I thought Anthony Smith was up. He thought he just had the one hand on the mat. I thought we all agreed. I think it was two years ago now that this is fair game. You shouldn't be able to put one hand on the mat and, and stop someone from kneeing you in the face. Uh, However, Las Vegas has not adopted the new unified rule, so it wasn't an illegal blow. You have to give a lot of credit to Anthony Smith here because he could have thrown in the towel and gotten the DQ victory. Instead, he said he was okay to continue. The doctor allowed him to continue, which I kind of question that doctor because I I was already thinking that Anthony Smith wasn't going to answer the bell for the fifth round uh, before the knee had landed. Uh, or his corner might've th- thrown in the towel or, or something. I, I mean, it was obvious he was not going to stage a comeback. Uh, but he did come out with a second wind in that fifth round. And he was, he was throwing some heavy leather at John Jones for, um, I don't know, 15 or 20 seconds before it was more of the same, but yeah, big, big credit to Anthony Smith for, you know, answering the bell there and, and, you know, getting back in there with a guy who was just completely dominating him for three and a half rounds uh, when he could have taken the coward's way out. Uh, So you definitely have to respect Anthony Smith's heart. What you don't have to respect is Anthony Smith's corner because the best advice his corner man gave him was you have to be offensive or you can't be you. What? And, yeah, I don't know if he caught any of this, Jeff. They were miking up Anthony Smith's corner every single round, and he was giving some of the most absurd advice that you would read on, like, a poster in a third-grade classroom. Like, you have to be you in there, or you can't be the Lionheart. Like, uh, he's giving him comic book advice. Like, how about how about you need to shoot for a takedown, or you need to close the distance, or give him some technical help. This guy's taking a beating in there from probably the greatest fighter on planet earth. And you're just telling him you need to be you. I mean, <laughs> this is, <laughs> this has to be like Anthony Smith needs to fire that guy right now, whoever he was. I, I don't even know who the corner man's uh, name is. You don't need a motivational speaker in there. Uh, I, I,
1: that's just confusing. Like I need to be me. Is that what he's <laughs> bill my only rebuttal to that would be that every time anthony smith did go for something his leg was getting chewed up by john jones jones was stomping at that knee and uh something that i think joe rogan mentioned one of the commentators mentioned was every time anthony smith switched stances to go for something else Mm -hmm. john jones kicked him in the gut with a really nice sidekick and i don't think we give jones enough credit for how fast he is dude um his kicks were so fast mm-hmm. i think that just the speed difference between anthony smith and john jones i don't think smith took that into account i don't think he was prepared for that i don't think you can really mimic that in any uh, special way so dude jones just just totally different level man i don't think anthony smith was ready for this fight at all dude and if he was John Jones made it appear that way that he wasn't.
0: Yeah. The really impressive thing about John Jones that I really witnessed in this fight in particular, we've seen the kicks, you know, we've seen him try and dislocate people's knees with the, with those front kicks to the leg. Uh, his kicks did look uh, even more blazingly fast than normal in that fight. But what I was more impressed with was, the things that he wasn't doing, so to speak, the way he was distracting Anthony Smith by just kind of waving his hands and kind of lulled him into fighting flat footed and standing right in front of him. And then just when he was in a daze or, or he was starting to snap out of it, Jones would maul him and get him up against the cage and he would die for his legs. But I, again, I don't really feel like he was trying to finish the takedowns. I think he was just trying to hold Anthony Smith up against the cage, get blood going in his arms to take those big power punches away from him because that's his, that was his only chance to, to victory was be to land a big shot. And I heard at the press conference, John Jones even said, I felt like Randy Couture in there just holding my opponent up against the cage and chipping away. And it seemed like he was really having fun. Uh, he's really enjoying this again. And, That's a dangerous thing for anybody in this light heavyweight division. I mean, I can only imagine that they're going to try and put Tiago Santos in there next with him. That would definitely make sense, especially since he has a finish over the opponent that John Jones couldn't finish last night in Anthony Smith. So I think that's a fun fight. But yeah, man, the, the way that John Jones is like a snake charmer in there. And Anthony Smith was convinced he wasn't going to play into that game, but he played into that game. Yeah. You know, he got hypnotized by the things that John does in there. And it it was really uh, an amazing thing to watch. It, it was a spectacle of a performance, and it was nearly flawless by John Jones. So what do you think is next for both of these guys here, Jeff? Personally, I like Anthony Smith at light heavyweight. He doesn't cut a lot of weight, but he's still – Carries a lot of power there. I would like to see him, you know, on the rebound trail. But what do you do next with these two guys if you're the UFC?
1: Yeah, dude, I agree with you. I like Anthony Smith at light heavyweight. The weight cut isn't as bad for him. He's still got a lot of power. But I definitely think he needs to step down in competition. I think it's going to be a little bit before he gets another title shot after that performance. So I don't really know who you put him in there against. Has he fought Vulcan Ozdemir yet?
0: Yes, that was his last fight.
1: Okay, uh, what about Jan Blahovic? Has he fought him yet?
0: No, I don't believe so. And, you know, Blahovic is coming off that loss to Thiago Santos, so that would actually make a lot of sense. I think that's a really fun fight to make. Um, I think Jan Blahovic would probably try and expose the grappling of Anthony Smith. Uh, he's a monster on the ground, he has a ridiculous squeeze, but as we saw in his last fight with Thiago Santos, he is susceptible to big power shots as for John Jones. I think he's veering away from that move up to heavyweight that he had been talking about a while back people keep bringing it back up and he tends to avoid the question. So I don't think that's really what he wants. I think, I think he feels like he can legitimize his belt if he fights DC at light heavyweight again. Um, so maybe that's what we'll see. I, I, um at the end of the night, I had two realizations. One was that that was a phenomenal card. And two, I don't really care about the DC Brock Lesnar fight. I mean, this thing's been dragged out too long. Uh, You know, Cormier has been keeping his name out there by talking trash with a couple of guys back and forth, but we haven't really heard any concrete evidence that Brock Lesnar is coming back. And even if he does, I'm just not, I'm not interested, Jeff. I mean, I've, I've seen that show. I, I've, I've had tickets to the freak show. I saw it. It was cool. He even won a championship. Um, uh, I'm kind of over it. I, I think, I think we need to move on from like these one-off kind of spectacles here and really focus on building these divisions back up. That's what I'd like to see. Um, what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I don't disagree with you, Bill. I think that the whole holdup with the Brock Lesnar fight, that's probably on Brock Lesnar's end. Uh, He seems like a tough guy to do business with. And he's got some stuff tied up with WWE right now. He is their champion. And we're approaching WrestleMania, which I don't know if I've told you, Bill, but I actually have a ticket to because it's in New Jersey this year. So I'll be there. I'd like to see him at WrestleMania. And I think that after that, so the way it seems that it's set up, it seems like Lesnar is going to lose the title either sometime around WrestleMania or right before WrestleMania but by April I don't think he'll be the champion anymore. I think WWE is uh, trying to move towards someone who can be there consistently. Brock Lesnar's there like twice a year. Mm. So I think WWE wants someone who's going to be a little bit more active and someone who's not going to be tied up with stuff outside the WWE. And honestly, I think after that, maybe we'll get that Brock Lesnar fight. But honestly, Bill, I hate to go off on a tangent here, but I want to see DC fight Francis Ngannou. I think Ngannou has done enough to earn a title shot. Fuck Brock Lesnar. He can do it <laughs> he wants.
0: Yeah, you definitely have a, an interesting storyline there since Ngannou just, you know, albeit controversial, Ngannou just fucked up dc's boy came Velasquez, so he would want to get revenge there and yeah i think that that's a very interesting fight i think a lot of people would protest and disagree with you as far as whether or not nganu is deserving of the title shot you know since he you know got his wrestling exposed by stipe and then you know he had that real snooze fest with Derek lewis Um, but yeah, I'm on board with this idea. All right, let's uh let's keep the train moving here and let's move on to who I believe was the biggest winner of the night, and that is the new welterweight champion, Kamaro Usman, who completely dominated and manhandled Tyron Woodley, who on a lot of people's scorecards may be one of the best welterweights ever. Um it depends what you prioritize strength of schedule finish percentages or you know overall greatness and 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 the way someone carries themselves so depending on your priorities i guess the debate would probably be be between matt hughes george st pierre and tyron woodley for the greatest welterweight of all time kamaro usman ragdolled him and i i thought usman had a chance to win the way i looked at it was that woodley does everything usman does just a little bit better and i i'm eating my words today jeff because kamara usman really impressed me last night with that performance i mean nobody has ever done anything close to that to tyron woodley ever and it was it, he might have only been at 25% <laughs> so <laughs> Uh, what were your thoughts on this performance by Usman Jeff?
1: Yeah, Bill, you're not the only one who has to eat his words, dude. I got fed a slice of humble pie, man. Last week on this show, Bill, I said that Tyron Woodley had this, but I also said that Usman would have to tire Woodley out. And the first thing did not happen. Woodley, did, he didn't show up, dude. I mm-hmm. might have been Woodley at 30%. But I, I think the reason for that is just Usman – was so good at making Woodley carry his weight around. When mm-hmm. they weren't on the ground, Usman had all of his weight on Woodley's arms. So he was taking away that power and just exhausting Tyron Woodley. At one point, it looked like Woodley stopped fighting entirely. He stopped fighting the takedowns. He wasn't doing much on the feet except in that fifth round where he was looking for a finish. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that's just a, uh, a really big... Tribute to Usman's wrestling, man. He just was able to smother Woodley, basically neutralized any offense from Woodley. And Woodley's a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, Bill, but that didn't seem to matter when they were on the ground. Usman was just doing a good job of grapevining Woodley's legs, just pressing down on him, making Woodley carry his weight around. Um, I still think that Usman's striking needs a lot of work but when you can wrestle like that bill, it might not even matter. Um, this wasn't the most exciting fight to me, but what Usman was able to do in there was unbelievably impressive.
0: Yeah, man. So that makes 14 wins in a row for Kamaru Usman. And the other thing he was doing was really stifling Tyron's timing. So I was going back and watching a lot of old Tyron Woodley fights and What I saw is that he was consistently able to land that leaping right hook from back when he was an amateur fighter up until his most recent fights. He landed it on Wonder Boy. He knocked Robbie Lawler out with it. Uh, He knocked Josh Koscheck out with it. Um, He he knocked out an opponent as an amateur with it. And you could tell he was trying to time that hook. And every time he took that little stutter step, Usman closed the distance and wouldn't let him get it off. And it was almost like he knew it was coming. It was like a spring-loaded bear trap that Usman just jumped on top of and stretched it back out uh, is the best analogy I could think of. And he just smothered him and would not let him get his rhythm, would not let him get his timing. We also saw Woodley struggle on his back. Uh, we know he's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt under Dean Thomas. However, the case may be more so that he's a black belt on top. You know, mm-hmm. Tyron Woodley is not a guy that you want on top of you. Tyron Woodley is not a guy you have to worry about submitting you from his guard. Uh, we saw his, his guard recovery was not very good when Usman had him mounted. Uh, he had some very clear opportunities to straighten out a leg and recover his half guard uh, but he just kind of flailed around there. So I, I wouldn't question the authenticity of Tyron's black belt, but I would say that we definitely saw something exposed in his game. Uh, that was a weakness we didn't know he had because his wrestling is so good. Uh, he's never really been in that position before. And he's been in there with some other great wrestlers too. Josh Koscheck, as I mentioned, and, um, yeah. So that, that was interesting to me. So I, I can't say enough great things about uh, how blown away I am by Kamara Usman. From what I understand, what's going to be next is Colby Covington who has been, <laughs> has been the ultimate troll this weekend, following Dana White around the casino and running around with his championship belt and threatening to key Dana's car and sitting in the front row with his, <laughs> with his interim belt and his MAGA hat and, and uh making videos with his whores that he pays and (laughs) it's it's so man it's so bad that it's funny and then it's so cringeworthy that you want to see him back in there like i was kind of over the whole stick but now after seeing what usman did to woodley If he would be able to do that to Colby Covington after all this trash he's talked and all the trolling and bringing a megaphone to the open workouts and taunting (laughs) Usman, um, you know, Usman's ready to kill this guy. And, you know, we saw what he did to Tyra Woodley, a guy who he respects. Uh, Imagine getting in there with Colby Covington, who, you know, you can't, you can't discredit Colby Covington's skills either. Uh, He did earn that interim title and he earned it the hard way. He took some tough fights, and he really proved his skills in there. So this is the fight to make. Um, I think if there were a different outcome in the Ben Askren fight, he maybe could have called out the winner of this title fight, but I think there's going to have to be another one in between for Ben. I think Colby Covington is next. Give me your thoughts, Jeff.
1: Yeah, dude, I think that's the most logical choice. I think that Colby Covington, as much as people don't like him, Let's be honest, Bill, he was screwed out of a title shot here. He was mm-hmm. the interim champion. He should have been next in line, and Dana White screwed him.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: I think you make up for that with this Kamaru Usman and Colby Covington fight. I think they match up really, really well. They, they're they both really, really good wrestlers. And, Bill, what uh, Kamaru Usman did to Tyron Woodley last night is basically what Covington did to Rafael Dos Anjos in their last fight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Excuse me. So really, really interesting matchup. I'd love to see that. And I think it breathes some life into this welterweight division. Tyron Woodley, as impressive as a champion as he's been, he had some very boring title fights. Mm-hmm. And I respect him for it because he fought those fights smart. He wasn't going to get into a firefight with Wonderboy Thompson. He wasn't going to grapple with Demian Maya. But I think that this usman colbington rivalry adds a lot of fresh air to this division. uh let's make the welterweight division great again bill.
0: <laughs> yeah for sure. um i i don't know what you do with woodley. i think he maybe needs to take a little bit of time off and he definitely has to get in there with a the top 5 guy. Uh, there's no other way around it. he's via- he's already campaigning for a rematch. that's not going to happen. I mean, he was completely dominated 50, 44 on one judge's scorecard. So I I think he's going to have to have an impressive victory to get back in there for the title, especially since he wasn't getting along so well with the UFC brass, you know, they weren't too happy with him for the longest time and they were hoping for him to lose this belt. So he may have to win two or three in a row uh, in a very competitive welterweight division to get back in there for that title. So, Definitely worst case scenario for Tyron Woodley right now because he has to know that as soon as he lost that belt, it's going to be really hard for him to get back to it. So let's move down the line. We'll stay in the welterweight division. Let's talk about uh, two two of my favorite fighters to watch ever in Ben Askren and Robbie Lawler. This fight was not what anybody was expecting. I don't think anybody was expecting a submission in this fight. I don't think anybody was expecting Robbie Lawler to take Ben Askren down, but he hit him with a beautiful fireman's carry and dropped him right on his neck, followed up by pinning his arm behind his back and beating the shit out of him. He gave Ben Askren a worse beating last night in 30 seconds than Ben Askren had received in 18 professional fights before that and it looked like it was going to be over. I thought Herb Dean could have stopped it at any moment there. I was yelling at the TV, it's over, it's over. But Ben Askren comes back, scrambles, goes for a rear naked choke, slides off to the side, and gets a bulldog choke. Now, the finish is very controversial here because Herb Dean did check Robbie's hand. His hand dropped. Robbie said he gave him a thumbs up, but it did look like his hand dropped. But then as soon as Askren let go of the choke. Lawler was completely with it. So maybe he temporarily went out and then came back while in the choke. But unfortunately for a lot of people, this one's going to have an asterisk next to it. Give me your thoughts on the fight and the results, Jeff.
1: Bill, I thought your summary was really, really good. I just want to add one thing. You described it as a fireman's carry, which is what Robbie Lawler did. But then he turned it into, like, a brain buster. Like you you see Bill Goldberg do to people in the (laughs) day. Man, this fight was so exciting for as long as it went, man. And I'm only upset that it didn't go longer. I think that the finish, I'll be honest with you, Bill, I think that Herb Dean made the right choice in the moment because he, you know, Robbie Lawler's hand was on the back of Askren's head and as Askren's choking him, his hand drops to the floor.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That, to me, is a bad sign. You know, I'm yeah. not a professional ref. I'm not a professional fighter. But I do train jiu-jitsu, and that's usually a really bad sign.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, Herb Dean did the right thing. He shook Robbie Lawler's hand, to see, and he got a little bit of a response, but it wasn't like... It wasn't like he, like his hand like jumped back up. It was a little bit like he had to kind of pick it up a little bit. So, dude, I think that Herb Dean made the right decision in the moment. I think that when Robbie Lawler goes back and watches this, I think he'll be like, okay, I can see why why he made that call. Because, you know, it, it's just I, I didn't see Robbie Lawler, even when he gave him the thumbs up, which wasn't too convincing, by the way, mm-hmm. he didn't do anything to go get around Ben Askren or, or try to like take his back or something. There was no reaction from his body.
0: Sure. And this is the choke that Ben Askren had on him, which is uh, called a bulldog choke is not something that you see very often. And for a reason, because if you're able to get your hands around your opponent's back, it's pretty easy to slip out of that because you're able to put a lot of pressure on the grip, of the person holding the choke. So I'm going to interject here with a quick full circle story, Jeff. So this choke that Robbie Lawler uh, got caught in his first MMA coach, Pat Militage, who is the first mm. welterweight champion of the USC lost his welterweight championship to this very same choke to Carlos Newton. That's okay. gotta be. Oh, jeez. 18 like years ago. Yeah, yeah, maybe 20 years ago. Oh, man, I'm really dating myself here, Jeff. But I, I thought that was an interesting kind of full circle thing in there. So if you're Robbie Lawler, even if you know you went out, you kind of have to lean into this and say I was fine because he was able to pop up out of the choke You know, when the fight ended. You can save face a little bit, and nobody's going to question the toughness of Robbie Lawler. If you do, you're an idiot. This is an old-school beating-ass motherfucker. And I will tune in for a Robbie Lawler fight as long as he's doing this every single time. I don't care where the fight is or who he's against. Robbie Lawler is a guy I have always enjoyed watching win or lose. I don't think the guy's ever had a boring fight. I don't think he even knows what it means. And I I like the way he handled himself after the fact. He was just like, shit happens. I don't think I was out, but you know, it's a tough job in there, and I'd like a rematch with Ben Askren, which is never gonna happen. And you know, Ben, I, I think he could have done a little bit better with his post fight speech. You know, this is a guy who's known for talking shit. Granted, he got his bell rung hard, but he was <laughs> like, Hey Dana White, is that the best you got? Um, I think there's some interesting matchups for, for him. I think uh as far as the business goes. It was a better case scenario that Askren won just because you know, Lawler's been around so long. He's been in so many wars. Who knows how much time he has left. Ben Askren hasn't taken a lot of damage in his career, and he's a big-time shit-talker, and he's going to be a big draw. I imagine he's going to be a main event in his next fight. It'll probably be a fight night uh, against a top contender, and there are a lot of options uh, in that division. A lot of people... Match up with him. A lot of people have been talking shit with him. You know, maybe Darren Till if Darren Till is able to get through Jorge Masvidal. I think that'll be a fun fight. In any case, uh, yeah, awesome, awesome show from those two. Uh, For the sake of time, Jeff, I don't want to spend too much time on on going through every fight on the card, but I thought Wiley Zhang looked very good uh, in her performance against Tisha Torres. I think. She showed a lot of her judo skills, uh, you know, with those upper body throws that she was able to. And the fact that she was able to control a wrestler like Tisha Torres on the ground uh, was very important. It was very impressive. I thought she looked really good and she looks really big for this division. Um, So I I think there's a lot of success in store for her. Uh, Any thoughts on this one, Jeff?
1: Yeah, she looked impressive. Tisha Torres, no walk in the park, a very tough customer. So good to win for uh, Wei-Lei Zhang. Uh, I'd like to see her in there a little bit more. And like you see, yeah, I agree with you, Bill. She's big for this division. So I can see mm-hmm. her being a real problem for a lot of these girls.
0: Yeah, and a 19-fight win streak for her. So she's 19-1, and, and her first professional fight was a loss. That makes three in the UFC. So I think... You know, you never know what to make of these records when they come outside of the UFC. You can never really know what to expect, you know what level of competition it was, but I think uh, Wiley has proved herself for sure. So moving on down the line, we got the bantamweights, Pedro Munoz and Cody Garbrandt here. This thing was just bananas. Uh, these two, at one point, Cody Garbrandt looked like a video game, like one of those fighting video games where you just press every button and you're just trying to like, <laughs> like when you're a kid and you're like trying to beat your dad at the game, you're just like, you're just like hitting all the buttons, like smashing the controller with your whole palm. Um, man, this, this fight was nuts. And I think, unfortunately what's happened here with Cody Garbrandt is, you know, he had so much momentum undefeated world champion. And then he got, knocked out by his arch enemy twice and i don't know if he'll be able to bounce back from that i think if he was going to this would have been the time to do it and unfortunately he got knocked out by a guy that not a lot of people are familiar with pedro munoz calling for a title shot um, i hate to sound like a broken record today but that's not going to happen uh, especially with the, the bottleneck going on in the bantamweight division, but give me your thoughts on this firefight here, Jeff.
1: Yeah, dude, Pedro Munoz definitely put his name up in those rankings. But Bill, I've said this before about Cody Garbrandt, he did not deserve an immediate rematch with T.J. Dillashaw, and we see why, man. His i his fighter IQ was non-existent yesterday. He was throwing wild, winging punches, mm-hmm. leaving his head exposed, and Pedro Munoz he just had a tougher chin man maybe against a lesser known or a less tough guy uh cody garbrandt maybe he wins that fight but dude oh my god i just cody garbrandt did so much wrong bill Mm -hmm. um i know you're a little pressed for time so i'm not gonna get into it too much but (laughs) he just ah man i don't know what I feel like he got brought up through these rankings way too fast, Bill. And I said this when he got the title shot against Dominic Cruz. I didn't think that he really deserved it. I mean, he did knock out Thomas Almeida, who's a really mm-hmm. tough guy. But I think for Cody Garbrandt, I think he needs to step down in competition. Maybe someone who's ranked, well, Pedro Munoz was ranked number eight, I think, going into this. So maybe somebody outside the top ten uh, just to get Cody's confidence back, man. He, yeah. Yeah. He fights way too emotional. He needs to use his head.
0: I agree, but I think Cody Garbrand has a pretty hefty contract. So if you're the UFC, you're not going to put him on a prelim fight if you're paying mm. him, uh, you know, whatever he's making. Let's call it half a million dollars to fight. Uh, if that's what he's making, you can't really put him in there with some chump uh, and pay him a lot of money to smoke some guy. He, if you're the UFC, you got to keep putting him in there with tough contenders and then hopefully you can if he loses again you can renegotiate i mean that's just the way the business works as far as pedro muñoz uh i'd like to see him fight peter yan i think that'll be a really fun fight i think uh, they're both at about the same level right now Uh, peter yan coming off that win over john dodson pedro muñoz has a close split decision loss to john dodson I think it would be a really competitive and fun fight and, and a great way to build up uh both of these young competitors. Although Munoz, I believe, is like 32. So he's not that young, but um still not that well known as far as the UFC goes. All right. Uh the next fight below that I thought was uh phenomenal back and forth to beat Magomed Sharipov and Jeremy Stevens. I did not score this one the way the judges did. However, when this fight ended, Jeff, these were my exact words. I scored the first and third rounds for Jeremy Stevens, but I believe the decision will go to Zabit. I thought Jeremy Stevens landed the bigger shots. I think he did more damage, but I think Zabit controlled that second round and won that one handily. I see you shaking your head, Jeff, so I I guess you're going to disagree with me, so let's hear it.
1: No bill I'm going to disagree with you on this. I think Zabit won rounds one and two pretty soundly. I think that, yeah, Jeremy Stevens landed the bigger shots, but Zabit made Jeremy Stevens back up more. He was making um, Stevens question a lot of things. Mm-hmm. He was switching stances on him. I, I think that he he didn't win the war, but he won a lot of battles, Bill. I think that he won a lot, I think he just outscored Jeremy Stevens, which honestly Bill, I think that's the only strategy you can try and implement against Stevens because you're not gonna beat him in a firefight. and yeah. and I think you gotta give Mogamech shapiro some style points here too, Bill. I mean, he went for this one kick where he ran off the off the cage in reverse and then like flipped into a kick, which completely missed, but at least it looked cool. Yeah, for but, sure. Uh, yeah, go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah.
0: I mean, I, I saw it a little bit differently. I saw the, the flashy stuff and I think it made it look like he was doing more than he actually was. Uh, you know, when, when Stevens was getting in the pocket, he was landing clean and there's a beat I think was throwing a lot of flashy stuff that looked cool. And he was putting on a show, but I don't think he was really scoring points on, on Jeremy Stevens, but I, like I said, when the fight ended, I said, I think the decision's going to go to Zabit. I just, if I were scoring it personally, I wouldn't have scored it that way. So it's fine. We can agree to disagree on this one. Um, I think we can both agree that dancing is very dangerous for Johnny Walker. And <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> being in a fight with Johnny Walker is dangerous for pretty much anyone else. This was going to be a huge test for him. This is a really experienced veteran at Misha Serkinov and Johnny Walker with these 30 something second knockouts is just racking them up. Unfortunately, it looks like he popped his shoulder out trying to do the worm after the fight. And I think that's more so going to be the story, but let's talk about this flying knee that was just perfectly placed. Uh, beautiful timing, beautiful placement, Really spectacular finish by Mr. Johnny Walker. Give me your thoughts, Jeff.
1: Yeah, dude. The way he set that up was really interesting. He looked like he cause he's waving his hands in front of Misha Cherkinov and you know, really uh damn mispronounce that, Bill.
0: It's just I'm just giggling like a twelve year old because it sounded like you said jerking off. <laughs> but yeah, oh, it, it is it is <laughs> circle off <laughs>
1: right, that's my mistake so um <laughs> so he's waving his hands in front of circle and just the misdirection of johnny walker and then he just jumps up into that flying knee it was awesome bill i think johnny uh, bill i told you from the first time i saw johnny walker that i liked him i'm glad i'm i've jumped on this hype train bill hopefully it keeps going um He's He's got that it factor. He needs to stop dancing after fights. But other than that, Bill, really good performance from him, especially since he got called up last minute for this fight.
0: Yeah, for sure. And then, unfortunately, popped his shoulder out uh, in that celebration dance move. So maybe he'll second-guess that next time. But I, I think he definitely has star potential. I mean, he's got crazy cocaine eyes. But, uh, you know, that's the stuff of champions as we've seen from our current champion. Uh, uh, I'll breeze over a couple of things here. Cody Stammen, uh taking a big slam on his neck uh, in his fight with Alejandro Perez, but still being able to come back and come away with the unanimous decision victory. I thought the most brutal performance on the card was Diego, the millennial mauler Sanchez, <laughs> smashing Mickey Gall. Smashing. I mean, this was I this would be illegal in 51 states, Jeff. What Diego Sanchez did to Mickey Gall. And I I want to add this in too. I looked at Diego Sanchez's Instagram and he posted a picture of a bite mark on his chest. And he said, Mickey Gall is still a little bitch. He tried to bite me, and he was trying to gouge my eyes out. And he's like, and I didn't tell the ref because that's not what a warrior does. Diego Sanchez is a motherfucking savage. This guy, it, if I had to make a list of people I would never want to fight, Diego Sanchez is on there because there's nothing you can do to this guy. I mean, you have to put him out cold to stop him. You're not going to submit him because he's a high-level black belt. You're not going to be able to match his pace. Uh, and you can just keep hitting him, and he just keeps coming. He's like he's like a like a fucking savage energizer bunny, but he folded Mickey Gall in half like a cheap card table. The same thing he did to Craig White, uh, which why I'm trying to build up the nickname the Millennial Mauler. Give me your thoughts on Diego Nightmare Sanchez here, Jeff.
1: Bill, I don't know what Mickey Gall was thinking, but he said, I'm going to finish Diego Sanchez in the first round. And if you check my Twitter bill, I went up before this fight, and I posted, "That's adorable," <laughs> because <laughs> Gall does. Oh man, I don't know if has. Been, I don't know how long Nicky Gall has been a fan of the UFC, but Diego Sanchez is not someone that you say that to. <laughs> like, dude, oh my god, Diego Sanchez just he just has this pace, man, uh-huh. where. Very few people can match it. And I like that he's at welterweight. And this guy's fought in like three or four weight classes, Bill. Like, this is not his first rodeo. Mm -hmm. I don't know what ran through Mickey Gall's head, but at the start of that second round, he was taking some deep breaths. Like, he had just run a marathon, dude. Mm -hmm. And Diego Sanchez made him pay, especially on the ground. He didn't care that Mickey Gall was throwing up these – fucking uh going inverted and whatever that stupid shit that really doesn't work in a real fight I'm sorry mm-hmm. I love jujitsu, but going inverted is never smart in an MMA fight no Diego Sanchez was just punching him in between his legs and, and like going down towards his head so Mickey Gall approached this all wrong he was clearly not ready for Diego Sanchez but honestly Bill I think few people are man I think that you have to like you said either put him out Um, I I think it was Gilbert Melendez who was really able to like outlast him. But even he was just trying to win rounds and trying to land shots on Diego Sanchez. So, dude, I'm glad that Diego Sanchez is still doing this, man. He's 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 the last gunslinger, Bill. The last guy from season one of Tough. Yeah. So that's
0: actually what I was gonna bring up. It was April 2005 when Diego Sanchez won The Ultimate Fighter season one. And he is the only remaining cast member that is still actively fighting, which really says a lot about him. And fighting ferociously, I might add. I mean, he was put out cold twice in a row by Ally Quinta and Matt Brown. Um, but now he, you know, he bumped back up in weight. Now he's at 170. I mean, this guy, he's, he's done it all. Won the Ultimate Fighter at middleweight. He's fought at featherweight. He's been in there with some of the greats ever. Just just an insanely savage dude that just has a pace that is so phenomenal. And I think there's still some fun fights left for Diego Sanchez at 170 pounds here. Uh, As far as Mickey Gall, look, he he did. uh, I'll try and give him some positives here because we shit on him a little bit. I think he was using his range well. Uh, He was able to use his length. I mean, he's tall for welterweight, and Diego Sanchez had a hard time getting inside. But, um, And you could tell he's been working on his power. He's been working on his striking with Joe Schilling. He moved out to California. For those of you who don't know Joe Schilling, uh, check out his highlight reel. He's he's one of the baddest motherfuckers walking the earth, um, uh, glory kickboxer. Currently, he's he's had a stint in MMA, but the guy's really just a striker. He's a bad motherfucker. So you could tell Mickey had been working on his power, but I think he fell in love with the power a little bit too much because he punched himself out in the first round. And you know, he's a young kid with a lot of skills, and he'll do well against other young kids with a lot of skills. But this was just too much for him. I actually had a little uh, inside bet with a buddy of mine. Uh, on this one, I said, Diego is going to be way too much for Nikki Gall. And, uh, I did win that bet. So, uh, buddy of mine's going to have to start showing up to geek classes now.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> you dude. know
0: me, Jeff, I don't like money bets, but, um, <laughs> yeah. Diego Sanchez, last thought on that one.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I think you're right, Bill. I think Mickey Gall, his striking did improve a little bit. He was landing some hard shots on Diego Sanchez. Uh, Mm -hmm. there was a right uppercut that kind of wobbled Sanchez a little bit. And I really like that. Um, I think Mickey Gall's definitely got a bright future, but I think he needs to stop underestimating people. You know, not everybody's CM Punk, Bill.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, when Diego Sanchez won the Ultimate Fighter, Mickey Gall was 13 years old. He was just going through puberty, and he kind of looks like he never really finished. But <laughs> no, I, I'm kidding. I mean, I I actually have seen some physical changes in him even since coming to the UFC. He's starting to fill into his body a little bit more. Um, but yeah, just just too much too soon for him. And I I could see why the UFC was trying to throw him in the deep end. He, you know, he came in with a bang against CM Punk. And um it, you know, it is what it is. They're gonna have to they're gonna have to scale him back a little bit. One last fight I want to talk about, Jeff, from the early prelims. I know you didn't catch this one, but I want to talk about it. Edmund Shabazian uh and Charles Bird. Both of these guys came off of Dana White's Tuesday night contender series, both very highly touted prospects. So Shabazian only 21 years old. And what happened in this fight was he rocked Charles Bird a little bit. So Bird shot in for a double leg that he switched to a single up against the cage. This is a dangerous thing to do, Jeff, because if you're holding on to a single leg, that means you don't have hands to defend yourself. And Shabazian made him pay for this with some really hard elbows against the side of his head and put him unconscious. Now, this was the case where the young guy was able to get over on the older guy. So Shabazian 21, Charles Byrd, 35. So kind of the opposite result of what we saw with Diego Sanchez and Mickey Gall. But Shabazian, man, at this middleweight division, I would really like to see them ease him into the waters here because it might be easy to throw him to the Wolves too soon. I'd like to see him develop. I love his the way his boxing looks uh, considering the gym he comes from with, uh, Ronda Rousey's former coach over there. Um, Edmund, um, Taverdian. yeah, that guy, um, his, his boxing actually looks really good considering where he's training. So, uh, I think, I think a bright future for Edmund Shabazi. And I think he's a guy to, to look out for in the future. If you miss that early prelim, which I knew you did, Jeff, I encourage you all to go back and watch it. It was a very impressive performance and take note, don't hang on to a single leg when you're up against the cage. If you don't have the leg picked up off the ground, the leg is still on the ground. You got to transition to a double or get your head out of there, or you're going to get the fuck elbowed out of it. So that's what happened with Charles Bird, unfortunately, but, uh, impressive victory for Edmund Shabazzian. So go back and watch that one. Is there anything else you want to touch on from UFC 235, Jeff? I, I skipped a couple of prelims and we breezed over a couple of things, but uh, you want to move on or what?
1: Yeah, we can move on. I think, uh, I think we beat this horse to death here.
0: Yeah, I'd say so. So um, as amazing as that card was, Jeff, I'm really looking forward to Fight Night 146 next week. And Hopefully I can convince you to get on board with this one. I know we're both exhausted from yesterday, but man, this is a fucking amazing card. I'm going to give you guys a couple of fights to look out for on this one. So it's headlined by heavyweights Junior Dos Santos and Derek Lewis. Could be an awesome fight. Could be another Derek Lewis, Francis Ngannou. We don't really know. I can't wait to find out. I think these are two guys who have insane finishing power you know they're they're usually both all or nothing kind of guys they're either going to try and knock you out or they're going to you know put themselves in harm's way and knock them out and and get knocked out junior dos santos i think has a much more technical boxing uh, Derek lewis is much more of a a brawler uh, i don't see this fight going to the ground unless somebody gets rocked if it does, I don't know who has the advantage there because neither one of them like to be there, but this is a fun main event, uh, for Wichita, Kansas. Uh, what do you think about this one, Jeff?
1: Though I'm excited for Derek Lewis versus junior Dos Santos. I think that could shake up the heavyweight division just a little bit. I think that both of these guys need a, a really convincing win here. Um, and they have they have really similar styles. I mean, you're not going to see this one go to the ground at all. Um, let's see. You got Deleski Dos Santos in here versus Curtis Melender. That actually looks like a really really good fight. Miko mm-hmm. Price versus Tim Means. I'm actually excited for that one. Um, Tim Bosch is on here. Haven't seen him in a while. Yeah, is- yeah. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna rewind
0: it a little bit on you, Jeff. So that co-main event between. Eli Zaleski Dos Santos and Curtis Melender. I think that's going to be a really amazing fight. Curtis Melender is a guy that we've been talking about a lot on this podcast. and He came on the scene taking a last-minute fight against Tiago Alves and knocked him out with a nasty knee. And then his last fight against C.R. uh was just really awesome, really uh, back and forth. It was a really technical striker in Melender against a brawler. And we saw him face a lot of pressure and – start to break a little bit from it. Uh, But he's a really technical striker uh, who always puts on a show. And, yeah, so I want to give people two fights that I think are the ones to watch. One of them you mentioned already, Tim Means and Nico Price. These are two very unorthodox guys. You never know what you're going to get. I mean, Nico Price, in one of his last fights, knocked a guy out from the bottom, uh, (laughs) which is is crazy. And Tim Means is, is... it's just like a dirty, gritty fighter. I don't mean he's a dirty fighter as in he's a cheater, but you know he likes to get down and dirty and get in there and get in the clinch and get up against the cage and throw short elbows. And Nico Price, very unorthodox everywhere. So that's a fun one. If you're into grappling, the fight to watch is Anthony Martin and Sergio Marais. So they're both coming off submission wins in their last fights these are two guys who really like to strangle people Marais looked great in his last fight against Ben Saunders uh he was really able to close the distance on a long lanky striker like Ben Saunders so if he's able to do that and get Anthony Martin down to the ground uh it's going to be a long night for Anthony Martin but Anthony Martin a really strong grappler in his own right probably has a slight advantage on the feet uh and Marais looking to get back in there because his last loss uh, he got knocked out by the champ, Kamaru Usman. So those are my two picks, but there are some other really awesome fights on here. We got the return of Ben Rothwell. He's going to fight uh, Blagoje Ivanov. So that should be a fun heavyweight scrap as well. It'll be interesting to see Ben Rothwell get back in the mix because he was a guy who had real steamroller momentum for a while and then just fell off the face of the earth completely. Um, Tim Bosch always... Always a good show, as you said. Yana uh, Kunitskaya and Marion Renault should be a really fun fight. Um, and then there was one more. So Alex White, the guy who got smashed by Diego Sanchez in his last fight, is looking to rebound and get in there against Dan Moret. Uh, that should be a good one. And then Maurice Green from the last uh, season of The Ultimate Fighter, the big man getting in there against 10-1, and Jeff Hughes. Maurice Screen had some impressive performances on the Ultimate Fighter, and um, you know he's a he's a big, scary heavyweight that you can't tell which direction he's looking at because <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. uh, you know, which is misleading. And and we as we saw from John Jones, you know, misdirection he uh, <laughs> can have terrible results. So I just threw a lot at you, Jeff. Uh, give me your thoughts on this
1: card next week. All right, Bill. You got me a little bit more excited for this one. I really like the Yana Kunitskaya versus Marion Renault fight. Uh-huh. Uh, I really, I was a fan of of Marie Screen. I really enjoyed watching him on the Ultimate Fighter. He was funny. I like the cut of his jib. So I'll probably tune into that fight. And this main card is looking really good, man. I didn't even notice Ben Rothwell was on here. So I, I, I really enjoy watching his fights and also. Daniel Dariush you know, is on here. He usually puts on a really good show.
0: Yeah, and yeah, he's Bill. facing oh. Drew Dober, who's another really strong grappler. So if you're into grappling, this is a good card for you.
1: Okay. So yeah, Bill, I think I'll be tuning into this one. I'm a little bit tired. I think there's been a lot of made the last couple of weeks, but it has been a series of good cards. So I think I think the UFC can pull Saturday night off. I think it'll be good.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um So a lot of MMA action, and I want to wind things down uh, by talking about a little bit of booze, if that's all right, by you, Jeff. Go for it. Um, So we've been at this a long time. We've been a a little over two and a half years we've been doing this show. Uh, I don't know if you think about that or not, but I've been thinking about that a lot lately. And and the coolest part about doing a show that's mostly about MMA but a little bit about alcohol is that people always want to – uh, expose me to things that I haven't tried before, which, is, which means that they bring me booze. And um, definitely the biggest perk of doing this show. So uh, my buddy Matt from the gym, he wanted to uh, bring over some bourbon that um, I hadn't tried before. And he found one. And it is actually delicious. It's called Jefferson's Reserve. For those watching on YouTube, I'm holding the bottle up here. It's got a nice, really light caramel color to it. Uh, It's harsh up front. It's 90 proof. So you got to open this one up with some water or maybe an ice cube or two, depending on, depending on your flavor. Definitely don't put in a soda or anything in it. Um, but yeah, once it opens up and breathes a little bit, it's got uh, a nice sweetness to the finish, Uh, almost like a little bit of an orange zest, kind of a little bit of honey notes to it. Um, and it, once you cut through that that harshness of, of the ninety proof, it's a it's a really smooth bourbon once it once it opens up on you. So definitely the the best part of doing this show is is being able to talk to people about alcohol and what they enjoy drinking and why. And um, one of the things I like about the fight nights is I always pose the question on Twitter like What's everybody drinking?" and the responses are almost overwhelming, Jeff. It's hard to it's hard to keep up, and everybody is always drinking some cool shit. I mean, I see I see everything out there. I see people, you know, t- texting me pictures of, of moonshine, and, and people are drinking, uh, bush light, and people are drinking high end scotches. And it's really cool how, you know, we've kind of made a community around this show. You know, uniting people who enjoy good drinks and good fights and i guess i'm just having a bit of a nostalgic moment here uh, with our our experience here on mma on the rocks but yeah it's just a really cool thing and then my other buddy paul uh brought over some tiger beers which is a beer from singapore and it's um it's like a really light refreshing beer i would i would equate it almost to like it's like a really light lager. It was actually almost like a Heineken but like without the bitterness. So really light, really crisp, uh almost like a like that um appley taste to it. Uh so needless to say I I was putting them back this weekend, Jeff, and uh, I may or may not have a couple of drinks left over and I may or may not be going to indulge in those drinks. Uh, when we're done, uh, wrapping up here, but any thoughts on, on the booze I just presented you with Jeff, and have you been sipping on anything yourself?
1: Uh, this week I wasn't able to get my hands on anything. I was a little busy, Mm -hmm. but, um, the Jefferson's reserve actually looks really, really interesting. I like the label. I feel like. It might have been produced by thomas jefferson's family so (laughs) so it it does look really interesting it's got a nice color to it too so i'm I'm really i i think that's that's definitely one to look into next time i'm down there bill because i'll be out there next month to visit you guys
0: yeah for sure and i know uh, a lot of the gracie clearwater team is looking forward to your the animals return to the uh, tampa bay area but we got a lot of fun stuff uh that we can cover next month when you're down here we'll hit up some some breweries we'll get some we'll get some rolls in we're gonna have a good time maybe we'll do some fishing i don't know i don't know anything could happen we'll, we'll have so much time <laughs> for activities uh, <laughs> in the meantime let's wrap this thing up here if you guys want to get a hold of jeff you can do so on twitter at animal underscore wilson and of course you guys know how to get a hold of me it's at mma on the rocks everywhere on social media facebook instagram twitter you can send me an email if you want, mmaontherocks at gmail.com. I try to be pretty good about responding to everybody, but like I said, um, it, it was starting to get overwhelming last night, but I love it. You know, Keep everything coming. Let us know what you're thinking and drinking out there. All right, until next time. Cheers, everybody. Goodbye.